So, um, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12, and as I say, we've been in this series for the best part of three years, and uh, we've kind of arrived at the best bit, or um, most exciting bit. A couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that um, in chapter 22, verse 53, as uh, Jesus is being arrested, Jesus said this, every day I was with you in the temple courts, and he did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And we entered this short season of uh, 48, 60 hours where where because of God's greater purpose, darkness is allowed to reign. Just a short season where darkness is given permission to reign. But now that very brief season has come to an end. We've arrived on the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, where the light shines once again. And the first thing to say is just the... Just the beautiful symmetry that there is in Scripture. I was, um, I was reading a, a Facebook comment uh, on, a, on a post a, a few days ago, which um, once you, generally on Facebook posts, once you get past the first three or four, you're sort of into the land of sort of idiocy and ignorance. And um, so if you want to read the first three and then give up. But, but anyway, there's a comment about how you know, the Bible is all contradictory and it doesn't make any sense. It's all fairy tales. And I thought, well, you should read it. Because there's a stunning symmetry that we see in Scripture. And uh, the symmetry is with creation. Let me just uh, uh, flip back to Genesis. Genesis chapter, chapter 1. And uh, you'll know the, kind of the, the creation story that God creates and God works and God puts into place a beautiful creation. At the end of uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So God finishes his work of creation. And then what does God do? He rests. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God works in creation and then he completes his work and he rests and then everything begins. God works, he rests and then everything begins. And that's exactly the symmetry that we see in the Gospels. You may remember that in John's Gospel we read that as Jesus was hanging on the cross one of the last things that Jesus said was uh, it is finished. It is finished. The work that Jesus had come to do uh, was finished. It wasn't a cry of despair. It was a cry of completion. I've done the work that I came to do. I've come to the cross. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I've come to pay the price for sin. I've come to break the power of sin and death. My work is finished. And then what does Jesus do? Well, he rests. He spends the Sabbath in the tomb, resting having completed his work. And now here we are on that first Sunday morning, the day, of, the day of resurrection, the first day of the week. And new creation is, is about to begin. And there's this lovely, lovely symmetry of, of God creating, creating the world, creating the universe, and then resting from his work, and then creation beginning and bursting into life. And now Here we are. What does John say at the beginning of his gospel in a very deliberate echo of Genesis chapter one? Uh, 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 Genesis begins in the beginning, God. 
And John begins, in the beginning was the word. Jesus completes the work that he has come to do and then he rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. And now new creation is beginning on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They're going to grieve, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. The body has gone and no one knew where the body had gone. No one ever found the dead body of Jesus because it wasn't there to be found. Uh, You know, at the moment when we're, um, you know, before you turn on the news, if you turn on the news, before you watch the news, you should read these first few verses of (laughs) Luke chapter 24. Because they remind us that on this first Easter Sunday, uh, darkness stopped raining. Darkness didn't disappear, but darkness stopped raining. The time where darkness was raining had come to an end because now the tomb is empty. And if the tomb is empty, it means that death has been defeated. It means that sin has been defeated. It means that everything that separated us from a holy God has finally been dealt with. The tomb is, is empty. We are a people of hope. We just sang in that last song. We, have, we are the hope of the world. As Christians, when we watch that, we should not be in um, despair because the tomb is empty. Because God is the Lord of history. As um, Alan reminded us in our prayer, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The things that we're experiencing, the things that we're about to experience is in this winter that is, is coming. We've, you know, history has been here before. Uh, I'm just reading a... Um, I'm just reading a biography of Airy Neve. Some of you will be old enough to remember um, Airy Neve, who was killed by the IRA in 1979, just after the general election. But he, he was very instrumental in, um, in, the, in politics in the 1970s. And some of you will remember the, you know, the three-day week in the, you know, in the early 1970s. We only had power for three days a week. And uh, I remember sitting in the lounge with my mum with a, you know, with a candle and a paraffin lamp and, you know, heating soup on the stove at you know, before six o'clock, because that was when the power was, you know, the power was going off. And, uh, and very interesting, some of the political conversations going on in, a, in the 1970s are exactly the same things that are being proposed at the moment, and they didn't work then, so probably won't work. But anyway, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Literally, it's very interesting. You just think the, the things that um, I think Harold Wilson was proposing, or Edward Heath, I forget which one, are... Pretty much what's being proposed at the moment, and uh, it didn't work then. So anyway, I don't want to get into politics. The fact is, there's nothing new under the sun, but Jesus is alive. Amen. Jesus is alive. It means we always have hope. We don't despair at these things. The tomb is empty. God is on His throne. He, you know, He allows all of these things to go on. And you know, somebody said, God gives us what we, you know, what we deserve, what we ask for, because when we shut God out. And we try to live independently of God, then we reap the consequences. He allows us to reap the consequences of the decisions that you know that, that we make. And um, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis said that suffering is God's foghorn to the world. Not foghorn, the other one, loudspeaker. He, he, he allows suffering because it gets our attention, or it should do. So the women go to. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among 
the dead. Jesus isn't dead. He's, he's alive. So often in, uh, you know, Paul says in, in one of his letters that, you know, when we lose those that we love, we grieve, but we don't grieve like other people who have no hope. Because when we lose those that we love, we, we grieve. Our hearts are broken. That's the price we pay for love. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we're not, you know, when we have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, we, uh, we look for the living. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now, one of the most, um, I think one of the extraordinary things or one of the things that we, that I think is really, really significant, but that we miss is that this conversation is going on between the, this man, these, these two angels, and this bunch of women. The men are nowhere to be seen because the men have run off. And it's the women who've gone to the tomb uh, on, the, on that Easter Sunday morning. It's the women who are, who are the first witnesses. And it's the women who were, who were there because the angels say to them, uh, remember what he said while he was with you in Galilee. So the women were there with the apostles and with the all They were there listening to Jesus with the others. And they heard what Jesus said. And they heard that, you know, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they, the women, remembered his words. So I don't think this is any, I don't think this, this any accident that it's women who are the first witnesses of the resurrection. And it's women who are the first evangelists. It's the women who are the first to take the good news to others. It's not men. Uh, when the women tell them, what do the men think? They think, well, you're talking nonsense. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, it, it's familiar. Yes, yes. So ladies, you're, you're very, very familiar with that. You're, you know, you're, um, you know, um, you know, it's often, you know, wives tell us something. I mean, oh, you're talking nonsense. Well, it's uh, has ever been so. But it's uh, they're very instructive. So they come back from the tomb. They tell these things to, you know, who was it? Mary Magdalene, Joanna. Do you remember Joanna? We mentioned her a couple of Sundays ago uh, because Joanna is the wife of Chuza, who is the head of Herod's household. So right at the top of the kind of political class is this guy, Chuza, who's the head of Herod's household, who you remember a couple of weeks ago, Herod was interested in Jesus and kind of asked him loads of questions and then got bored and had him flogged. Uh, but um, right, the head of Herod's household, Chuzza, his wife is one of Jesus's most devoted followers. So while Chuzza has been running Herod's household, Joanna's been wandering around Galilee uh, following Jesus, listening to everything that he's, he's said. It's just so lovely that right at the you know, at the heart of the political class is someone with an ear to Jesus. So we need to pray for, our, you know, our government, that those at the top of our political class will have people with an ear to Jesus advising them. I said I wasn't going to talk about politics. That was just a little aside. <laughs> you can just ignore that. So, but it's this bunch of women. And so they go to tell the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I, I, I don't want to press this, I don't want to press this too hard but I think there's something very, I think it's very significant about the fact that it's women who are the first evangelists. I think it's very, there's something, for me, there's something very significant about a, a kind of, a, almost a kind of a reset 
in the relationship between men and women that that this speaks into and i don't want to i don't want to press that too hard because i know all sorts of opinions and uh, but for me there's something very significant about about that there's 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 a reset and how how, how we work that out is some um, we, we have to kind of think about and wrestle with but for me it's very significant it's the women who are the first evangelists and the men think it's nonsense but here's the important thing peter however got up and ran to the tomb Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. The women, when they get there and find the tomb empty, they wonder. They're wondering about this. Who who moved the stone? How did the stone get moved? Where is the the body? Has the body been stolen? Who's taken the body? The thing they're, they're not initially expecting is that Jesus has risen from the dead. They're thinking, well, where's the body gone? But they wonder about it. Peter, although it says all the men think the women are talking nonsense, Peter, he wants to check it out for himself. He saw the strips of linen. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. Why is the tomb empty? If, if, if the body's been stolen, then why isn't the body produced? If the Roman authorities had the body, well, why didn't they produce it and squash the rumours about this Resurrection. If the Jewish authorities had the body, why didn't they produce the body and squash these rumours of the resurrection? If the disciples had stolen the body and knew that it was all a lie, why, did, why were they all martyred for a lie? Why did they give up their lives for a lie? It makes no sense that uh, the body has been stolen. One of the things that uh, Peter must be wondering about when he sees the strips of linen lying by themselves, these are the strips of linen that wrapped Jesus' body. So if the body's been stolen... He's wondering, well, why did the thieves hang around unwrapping this corpse from 75 pounds of sticky, gooey, embalming ointment and layers and layers of linen? Why did they go to the trouble of doing all of that and leaving the grave clothes behind and then just taking the body? It makes no sense. If you're going to steal something, you just you grab it and you run and then you sort it out when you've got to a safe place. So Peter's thinking, well, well why are the grave clothes here? But the body isn't. And, uh, as you know, I, I, just, I love to ask people and get people to, to wonder, to wonder about these things, to wonder about these, the story. Uh, you'll know um, uh, The line of Witch and the Wardrobe, and, uh, a book by C.S. Lewis. And uh, there's a lovely little bit at the beginning of the book where the children are, are playing hide and seek in the big house and they, uh, they're sort of exploring the house and they go up to this attic room and they throw open the door of the attic room and they look inside and the only thing in the room is this huge um, huge oak wardrobe and uh, in in the book C.S. Lewis writes that Peter the oldest of the siblings he looks in the room sees the wardrobe and he says oh there's nothing here and walks straight out but Lucy the youngest of the siblings she looks in the room and she sees the oak wardrobe and and C.S. Lewis writes she thought it might be worth trying the door of the wardrobe she wondered. Peter looks at it, makes a decision and walks out. And lots of people do that in our society. They, they're kind of confronted with the idea of God and they just dismiss it. Well, it can't be true. It's irrelevant. We don't need God. It's a fairy tale. And they just simply walk away and say, like Peter in the book, say, oh, there's nothing there. But Lucy looks and she wonders. She wonders. And some people... Well, they, they wonder. And Lucy wondered. She thought it might be worth trying the door of the wardrobe. If she hadn't, 
She'd never have found Narnia. She'd never have found this whole new world that she never knew existed. It's only because of her wondering and her curiosity that she went to open the door. And I'd love just to try and encourage people to, you know, to do that, to wonder and, you know, to open the door and to have a, you know, to have a look inside. That's why we're kind of doing all these things. That's why I've got Greg coming for the weekend and why we're doing our little Alpha Express course. Because so, so often people just dismiss and they don't, they don't wonder. They don't wonder if it could be true. I was at um, uh, Copthorne Chapel last uh, Sunday morning, which is another uh, chapel in our, in our little denomination. And um, uh, Copthorne Chapel, when it was built... It was kind of built in a place where people would notice it, but it's been there like 200 years and kind of everyone's moved. <laughs> the chapel's still there. So it's not the easiest place on earth to find. It really isn't. It's down a little track and it's just this little chapel. But, um, but there were three people there last Sunday morning. There were two guys and, uh, and a young lady called Liberty who were there. And I asked them, and literally they just walked past. It's like a public footpath. And they just walked past. They walked past it and they wondered and they just wondered and in the end they came inside and this this girl Liberty who lives um it must be early 20s she literally lives kind of around the corner and it's a walk that she does so she walks past the um just kind of walks up and down past the chapel and she's she's got a kind of a wondering heart and a, and a, a restless heart as um, Augustine would say a restless heart that's looking for God and so one so two Sundays ago she just walked in which is a really brave thing to do. You know, walking into a church is a scary thing to do if you've never done it. But she walked in and, and, um, and then she was there last Sunday and um, I a, was able to have a really lovely conversation with her afterwards and just pray with her. But she's wondering. She's wondering. She's asking questions and she's wondering about the Christian faith and she's wondering about Jesus and she's asking questions and uh, Peter ran to the tomb and saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened and it was because he was prepared to act on that wondering that he, he then met the living Lord Jesus. So, so my encouragement to, you know, to all of us, wherever we are in our, you know, in our journey of faith, is to keep wondering and to keep asking questions. And, um, and as we know the Lord Jesus, to invite those that we know to wonder for themselves. My, you know, my prayer is that this new kind of year that we're about to start, that we'll, just, we'll see an increase. We'll see an increase in people beginning to wonder because we're going into a season where a lot of the things that we depend on and take for granted are going to be stripped away. Uh, some people are going to find it very difficult to heat their homes, very difficult to have enough food to eat. You know, we are going into a very difficult season where people are going to start asking questions about life and uh, what it means and why all of these things that we put our trust in are no longer there. And as a church community, we need to be a place of hope and people of hope who demonstrate that in our lives. They say, well, actually, I... I trust in a God who loves me and I'm trusting that he will, you know, he will care for me. And, uh, you know, we want to be a generous church. You know, God has given us so much and we want to be generous in sharing what the Lord Jesus has given to us. So I'm praying for, for increase and for multiplication and for boldness as we encourage people to, to think about this um, Easter story that the tomb, the tomb is empty and because the tomb is empty, it means that there's, there's hope. 
uh, we have a wonderful and a glorious hope. And um, that's the good news that we have to share. And it's, you know, the same yesterday, today and forever. So can I um, encourage you uh, as we begin this new season to think, well, well, how can I how can I share what I the Lord Jesus has given to me? How can I offer this hope? Maybe there's a book that you can uh, you can give to somebody. Uh, we have you know our printed gospels that we can just share with people that we that we know. There are some books on the bookstall that are just to kind of give away for people who are inquiring. Think about well, who could I invite to the next late late breakfast? Who can I invite to come and hear? Greg, in September, um, who can I offer to pray with? Let us be a, a people of hope. And if you're wondering, uh, find a way of, uh, of um, kind of satisfying that wonder or getting more information and learning more about this good news. Uh, because as we've uh, uh, you know, already referenced, there's nothing new under the sun. Things that are happening in history have all happened before. Uh, but Jesus is the Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And uh, we put our trust in him. So let's, uh, let's pray together for a moment as we, uh, as we draw to a close. And let's pray that the Lord Jesus will uh, just equip us and encourage us and renew us at the start of this new season. Uh, many opportunities this term to invite people to Think about who Jesus is, why he died, the love that God has for each one of them. Uh, Father, thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, uh, to die for us and to rise to new life. We thank you for this day, this day of resurrection, where death has been defeated, sin has been defeated, a new creation has begun. Father, I pray that as a chapel community, we may be a community of hope, a community of generosity, that we may be bold. And uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, would draw people to yourself in this season. That you would stir hearts and minds to seek after you. And Lord, even this morning, for those of us in this room who who may be wondering... Lord, would you reveal yourself? We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.